Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, President of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.scbts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoyed the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. When I was a, a little boy, I have a very distinct memories of uh, my mother making it crystal clear to me that uh, Sunday uh, was a day of worship and rest unto the Lord, and in particular, uh, a day of worship. And so the idea that you would even consider doing something on Sunday like cutting the grass, uh, going to a movie, uh, even having baseball practice was just absolutely inconceivable. It was not on her radar screen, and therefore, as a little boy, it was not on my radar screen. And uh, even to this day, I, uh, I struggle with doing certain things on the first day of the week even though I am not convicted any longer that certain behaviors on the first day of the week are wrong. But the fact of the matter is, uh, there is some sense in which I wish my mother's view had prevailed in comparison to the way the first day of the week is treated today. Uh, I can even remember living here uh, the first time in 1992 to 96, and getting into a rather heated discussion, a conversation with a uh, soccer coach who was a member of a Baptist church in the area, who attended that Baptist church very faithfully, as did many others connected with the soccer program, who was quite upset with me because I informed him that my boys would never, under any circumstances, be able to play. Uh, soccer at 12 o'clock on Sunday because we would not be finished with church. And I then went on to basically take him to task uh, for allowing soccer games to be scheduled on Sunday at 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and, and so on. And, of course, I suspect that he probably thought that I was something of a narrow-minded fundamentalist, and I wasn't sure he was saved. No, I'm kidding about that. I'm kidding about that because the fact of the matter is there are still people today who believe that if you do not honor the Sabbath, Saturday correctly, Seventh-day Adventist, uh, you are at best out of God's will and potentially you're lost uh, because you are not obeying the Sabbath as you should. Even among those of us who believe that the Sabbath, Saturday, is no longer binding on us because it was an Old Testament ordinance, an Old Testament practice that was given to the nation of Israel for very specific and distinct uh, purposes. And now today, uh, we speak in terms of honoring the Lord not on the last day of the week, but the first day of the week, and for particular reasons. Even now, uh, there is still significant disagreement and debate on exactly how we should conduct ourselves on the the first day of the week. In fact, 
The article that you have before you tonight, the Lord's Day, Article 8, was significantly revised in the 2000 Baptist Faith and Message from the 1925 and 1963 statement. Uh, I'll address what I think about all of that as we move our way through it. But uh, this is one of those issues that should not be, in my judgment, a test of fellowship, but often it becomes one. And it is certainly not an issue that should be raised to the level of a cardinal doctrine like the deity of Christ, the Trinity, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But, you know, it's been my experience that we don't usually get in fights over those things. We get in fights over things like this and some of the things we will look at in succeeding weeks, which probably, again, is a reflection more of our sinfulness than it is our faithfulness to the Word of God. And so with that, it's just kind of an opening uh table setter. Let's walk through what the article says about the Lord's Day. The first day of the week is the Lord's Day. It is a Christian institution for regular observance. It commemorates the resurrection of Christ from the dead since he rose on the first day of the week and should include exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. Uh, activities on the Lord's Day should be commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. As I will point out later, it is that last statement that was radically revised from a prior statement. And even let me bring up again the issue. Well, what does this have to say, for example, about having a Saturday evening service? Does it have anything at all to say about a Saturday evening service? Since this particular article says activities on the Lord's Day, uh, which of course would be the first day of the week would seem to preclude, at least if you take it in a very rigid sense, uh, gathering for worship on, say, Saturday. But then again, why do we gather together on Wednesday? Or why not Tuesday or Thursday? Is it that we can only gather together for worship on the first day of the week? And again, these are worthwhile questions for us to think about and consider as we look at this particular doctrine. Now, you'll notice next if there are not many scriptures that address this, which right there ought to at least tip us off that there ought to be what I would call some theological flex room here where we're willing to defer to one another in terms of conscience and not try to draw lines in the sand that are rigid and, and immovable. I think it's also instructive to point out that there's only one quote and one scripture from the Old Testament. And that, of course, taken from the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. All other scriptures in this article are derived from the New Testament. So what are the key texts that we find here? Well, Exodus 20, 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the sea, I mean, made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. He hallowed it. Matthew 12, 8 and 12. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, and here's the major point, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. 
Now, it is the case that even in prior days, there were those who would say that works of necessity and mercy were always acceptable on Sunday. So, for example, would it be appropriate for a doctor to be a doctor on Sunday or a nurse to be a nurse or a, a policeman to be a policeman? And of course, almost all, virtually all, I have no one uh, that, that to my mind that would disagree would say yes. Uh, there'd be nothing uh, impermissible about works of necessity and works or acts of mercy. And Jesus said it's lawful. Uh, to do good on the Sabbath, uh, on the final day of the week. Mark two twenty seven and 28, and he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, there's the operative principle. Are we then to be bound in a legalistic, rigorous kind of a way by the Sabbath? No, because as he says, the Sabbath was made for man. It was given to us as a gift, not us as a gift to a particular day. Therefore, again, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. But now we move into different kinds of Scripture that speak of the first day of the week. And I'm going to try to come back in a moment and show you both the connection and disconnect between the Sabbath and uh, the Lord's Day. By the way, do note that the word Sabbath does not occur in the article. It is not there, and I think rightly it is not there. All right. Luke 24, 1 through 3. Now, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And so, of course, the focus there is on his resurrection on the first day of the week. John 20:19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be with you. Acts 27. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Aren't you grateful that Brother Bill and all the rest of us do not do something like that. Brother Randy may think about it every now and then, but Brother Bill keeps him under control. Romans chapter 14, verses 5, 6, the first part. One person esteems one day above another. So this is not new. This is not new. People arguing, fussing, fighting, disagreeing, breaking fellowship over what is the holy day and what is not the holy day goes all the way back to the first century. One person esteems one day above another. But in another esteems every day alike. Well, what's the bottom line, Paul? Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. In this same context, Paul is going to make the statement that which is not of faith is sin. So, even at the age of 53, could Danny Aiken in faith go out and cut the grass on Sunday? No, I can't. I strike it up to Emma Lou, but I can't go do it. Now, if you do it, that's your business. That's between you and God. Who am I to judge your conscience that that's not my assignment? That's between you and the Lord. So let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, whatever day it is, should observe it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, again, to the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. All right. So again, it really comes down, Paul says at this point in time, to a matter of conscience. So I like in some sense what took place at the end of the article when it was revised in the year 2000. First Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, 
As I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do on the first day of the week. Let each of you come to lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, and there be no collections when I come. They were taking up a special offering uh, in the churches of Galatia at Corinth to take back to the suffering saints in Judea. Colossians 2.16. So let no one judge you in what you eat or in what you drink or a particular festival day or a new moon or even a Sabbath. And then, very interestingly, this phrase only occurs here in the New Testament. Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And most scholars, not all, but most scholars conclude that the phrase the Lord's day means the first day of the week, Sunday. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And if you go in and read, of course, it is the voice of the Lord Jesus who appeared to John in a vision on the island of Patmos. All right, with those then as the crucial scriptures laid out on the table for us to try to put together in some type of a jigsaw puzzle, what can we say? Well, here we go. Some Christians have erroneously called Sunday the Sabbath. But the Sabbath is, by definition, the seventh day of the week. Furthermore, some Christians suggest that the Bible teaches that Sunday has replaced Saturday and serves as a, quote, Christian Sabbath, close quote. Now, they could be right, they could be wrong, but the Bible never uses the phrase Christian Sabbath. Admittedly, this is nowhere clearly taught in the Bible. Note carefully that the word Sabbath does not appear in Article 8 of the Baptist Faith and Message. Why do Christians then speak of the Lord's Day? Why do they worship on Sunday rather than on Saturday? The answer to this question lies in several biblical principles and practices rather than any clear teaching or mandate of Scripture. Do we have a mandate or a clear uh, scriptural teaching on this issue? I would argue no. But there are some biblical principles and in particular practices of the early church that they can give us some guidance and, and direction here. But again, brothers and sisters, I could give you all sorts of, uh, of situations where I think I could make a very legitimate argument for the authenticity and the rightness of worshiping the Lord on a different day given certain kinds of context and certain kinds of circumstances. Of course, again, we could jump into this uh, very deeply. Why is it that for the most part, for many, many years, we gathered to worship every Sunday at at what time? 11 o'clock. Can, can you find 11 o'clock Sunday morning in this book? I don't think so. I don't think so. And so it is a tradition that we gather at that particular time. In fact, the overwhelming evidence is that the early church gathered in the evening. Why did they gather in the evening? Because they had to work during the day. Because they were living in a pagan culture that did not set aside the first day of the week as our culture still, with something of a Christian memory, uh, tends to still honor in some kind of a way, although, let's be honest, it's less Christian now than it is just tradition. And it is the day we set aside, especially in the fall and the first part of the year, for that, uh, that uh, deified sport in America called uh, NFL football. Let's just be honest and acknowledge that that is indeed the reality as to why we do what we do on this particular day. So, three things I can direct you to concerning principles and practices. First, Christians need to understand that the principle of a day of rest after six days of work is rooted not in the law of Moses, where you have the teaching of the Sabbath, but in creation. You see, God was not tired. God never gets tired. He needs no rest. He is omnipotent. 
And yet he rested on the seventh day to provide a, and this is the key phrase, a model for mankind. Jesus verified this when he taught that the Sabbath is what? A gracious gift of God given for the benefit of man. The man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And since the day of rest is taught in creation and by Jesus, Christians should embrace the principle and observe a day of rest each week. Second, even though we should observe a day of rest, we are not bound by the legal qualifications of the Sabbath as given in the law of Moses. The law was for national Israel and included precise definitions of just how much work could be allowed. And tragically, the ancient Jews debated such matters as whether they could eat an egg that was laid on the Sabbath or whether they could break a dead twig off of a rose bush. Jesus, unfortunately, ran up against this legalistic view of the Sabbath in his ministry. Recently, I just returned from Israel. I had forgotten. I had not been there in six years. But on the Sabbath, uh, they create what they call Sabbath elevators. Now, it's gotten better. It used to be that on the Sabbath, no matter how high the building was that you might be staying in, every single floor was already punched in advance. David, you've been there when we saw this. So that you would not have to work on the Sabbath by punching that button to make the uh, elevator stop on your floor. So if you were like we were in a 14-story uh, hotel building, uh, every single floor was punched in advance. If you got on the first floor, you got to stop on 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and yes, 14. And yes, on the way down. 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. They have gotten smarter. They now do it 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, so that you can decide whether you want to get off and walk up, which amazingly they do not consider work, or go up one higher and walk down, which they do not consider to be work. Again, you try to figure out the logic of it, and I don't mean to be unkind to, to our Jewish friends, but it's sheer insanity. And Jesus stepped into a world that had codified uh, the law with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of additions to the law. That, as Jesus said, what was intended to be a blessing to man had actually become a tremendous burden and even an enslavement. Third, even though there is no clear teaching or command in Scripture that changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday, we need to acknowledge that. There is unambiguous evidence that the early church meant to worship on the first day of the week. Why? Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday, which was the first day of the Jewish week. And almost immediately thereafter, the Bible records the church meeting on the evening of the first day of the week. I give you two references there, but we noted several of them a moment ago. In his teaching on giving, Paul instructs the Corinthians to receive the offering for the poor saints in Jerusalem on the first day of the week. Many scholars believe that John's phrase, the Lord's Day, as I mentioned a moment ago in Revelation 1.10, also refers to the first day of the week. Thus, the BF&M defines the Lord's Day as the first day of the week. This chronological definition is correct, but the term Lord's Day does possess a richer theological significance. Now, note, the term Lord's Day only occurs once in Scripture, Revelation 1.10. And John states, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now, here's the deeper understanding that we don't want to miss. The term Lord's Day means day belonging to the Lord. 
In other words, the Lord in this verse is a reference to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, rather than God the Father Almighty. So the Lord's day is a day that belongs to the Lord Jesus in particular. Uh, All time, don't miss this now, all time, including the entirety of the week, belongs to the Lord. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday all belong to the Lord. I can still remember to my great horror a number of years ago, when I was serving a church as the associate pastor, and our minister of music, who was a layman, got up and, I don't know, I, I guess he just had a, a brain lock or something, but he got up and he said, you know, we, we need to come to church on Sunday and be serious about what we're doing. Because this is the one day that belongs to the Lord. All the other days you can do what you want, but this day belongs to the Lord. And I'm thinking, dear God, we have a heretic standing in our pulpit, teaching our people false doctrine. And it is false doctrine. All the days, all the hours of the day, all the minutes of the day, all the seconds of every day belongs to the Lord. All of it, all right? And yet, we do acknowledge the Bible marks out one day specifically as belonging to the Lord in terms of our calling to come together for worship and celebration of all that we have in Christ, to come together also as a community of faith, to share with one another as the family of God. Now, what makes then this day unique in that sense? Not that all days are not unique, but this one has a uniqueness, if I can say it this way, all of its own. I'll give you four arguments very quickly. Number one. The Baptist faith the message declares the Lord's Day is a Christian institution. That is a day based on Christian principles. In other words, we're going to set it apart now and in contrast with the Sabbath. And so follow my argument here, if you will. The Lord's Day, therefore, as previously noted, is not the same as the Jewish Sabbath. The Baptist faith the message uplifts the Christian nature of the Lord's Day by citing New Testament passages in support for this doctrine, except for one single citation from the Old Testament, as we saw a moment ago. That comes from Exodus 20 and the Ten Commandments, all right? Thus, continuities and discontinuities, sameness and uh, differences, exist between the Sabbath worship and Christian worship. For example, for the Jews... The Sabbath was a celebration of life, but the Lord's Day celebrates resurrection life. The Sabbath commemorates creation of the cosmos, the creation of all that God has made, but Christian worship rejoices in the new creation that God makes us when we place our faith in Jesus. The Sabbath celebrates redemption from slavery in Egypt, But Christian worship celebrates the redemption of the individual Christian from slavery to sin. Romans 4, Ephesians 2, Colossians 2. Uh, The Jews on the Sabbath participated in corporate worship. The Christian on the Lord's Day participates in corporate worship. So there we see continuity. The Sabbath recalls the defeat of the armies of Pharaoh. Christian worship recalls the defeat of the last great enemy, death. Uh, The Sabbath highlights rest. 
Christians enter divine rest in Christ, a joyful Sabbath through faith in Jesus. So there are certainly some similarities in terms of principle between the Sabbath and the first day of the week, but there's also clear uh, discontinuity where I believe this day is raised to a higher level than the Jews in the Old Testament ever, ever understood. Secondly, the BFNM declares the Lord's Day as, quote, a commemoration of the resurrection of Christ from the dead, close quote. All four Gospels declare that the women encountered an empty tomb on the first day of the week. Further, Jesus appeared to his disciples on two successive Sunday nights. In other words, every Sunday, Christians joyfully celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from death to life. First day to worship centers also on the Trinity. On the first day, God created physical light. The Scriptures use the metaphor of light as also a symbol for God revealing himself to us. Revelation. On the first day, Jesus rose from the dead. On the first day, Jesus poured out the Spirit at Pentecost. So God created on the first day, the Son rose on the first day, and the Spirit came all on the first day. That has to bear some great significance. Number three, the BFNM, BFNM correlates the Lord's Day with both public and private worship. Now, don't miss one. Some people sometimes say, well, I just worship the Lord privately on the first day of the week. Well, that, that's good, but that's not enough. And the Bible makes it very clear in Hebrews 10, for example, that we're not to forsake the assembling of one another, as some do, because we need one another to provoke one another. That word there is used in a good way, to provoke one another toward good work. So both public and private worship are identified as taking place on the Lord's Day. John exemplifies private worship. I personally, by myself, on the Isle of Patmos, as a prisoner, was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. But Acts describes Christians worshiping together in the city of Troas on the first day of the week. Luke describes the elements of worship as gathering together, breaking bread, perhaps a reference to the Lord's Supper and preaching, also taking place on the first day of the week. Luke's comment of this day in which the worship took place indicates the first day worship was not abnormal. Moreover, Paul encouraged the Corinthian believers to set aside monies for an offering for Jerusalem believers on the first day of the week. Four, BF&M limits Lord's Day activities to those, quote, commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the Lordship of Christ. And actually, there should be quotes there that conclude that particular statement. Now, don't miss this. This was actually hotly debated. I was there. This was hotly debated at the Southern Baptist Convention in the year 2000 at, uh, in Orlando when this was brought to the table, all right? So the last sentence represents a radical change from the Baptist Faith and Message 1925, the Baptist Faith and Message 1963, in which Christian observance of the Lord's Day said that it is to be observed, how, quote, by refraining from worldly amusements. And resting from secular employments, works of necessity and mercy only being accepted, close quote. Now, why did the Baptist Faith and Message Committee of 2000 move to amend and to change this particular statement? I think there are two things. 
I think, to be honest, number one, we just have to acknowledge the vast majority of Christians were in disobedience to it anyway. And I don't think you want to argue against that. We pretty much had dissed uh, Sunday a long, 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 long time ago. And I'm not talking about the secular world. I'm not getting into blue laws and all that kind of stuff. What the lost world does shouldn't concern me. In fact, it's, it kind of uh, seems to me to be hypocritical when we sometimes, like in the, this context, will try to impose upon them some things like this. No, we, we, we are to observe this as a believing community uh, but the fact is, America has this Christian heritage. Anyone that denies that's just being dishonest. And so out of that, uh, there was a time when the first day of the week was observed in a very specific, particular, non-activity kind of a way that uh, is not the case uh, any longer. And so I think part of it was just acknowledgement that we're not really lining up with it very well anyway. But then there were others on the committee, and one that I'm about to quote, that would have also argued, you know, to be honest with you, we probably turned uh, the first day of the week in America into something the Bible doesn't do. That the Bible doesn't do. In fact, I don't think anyone has addressed this better than Don Carson, who wrote a book called The Lord's Day. And in that book, Dr. Carson points out that in the first century, there's almost no debate at all that on the first day of the week, Christians worked. They had no choice. Many of them were slaves. In fact, that's probably the background of the whole mess in 1 Corinthians 11, where you've got people getting drunk and being gluttonous at the Lord's table, and God kills some of them, makes some others sick. And most scholars would argue that probably what was happening was the wealthy would get to the church gathering and the fellowship meal first, and they would eat all the food and drink all the wine and get drunk and gluttonous. And then later comes poor people like you and me that have been working like dogs all day because we were slaves and there's nothing to eat. There's nothing to drink. And it ticked God off. And I mean, God dropped the hammer on those guys. And so the point being in this context, they were all working on the first day of the week. The fact of the matter is we have brothers and sisters today in countries like Jordan who will gather on Sunday evening for worship after they have worked all day. And Brother Bill, you've been around the world. There are many places where our brothers and sisters have no choice but to work on Sunday and then come together that night for the purposes of worship. And the fact of the matter is, what they're doing fits in many ways the same historical context that was true of the first century church. So, this was the initial phrase, refraining from worldly amusements, resting from secular employments, works of necessity and mercy being accepted. I point out, no small debate took place when this was presented at the National Convention in June. Many viewed this as a compromise and surrender to the increasing secularization of American culture and even Christianity. I want to be fair. The issue is one no serious Christian should take lightly. But I do find very helpful the comments of my dear friend and former colleague, Al Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary. In fact, I quote him the rest of the way uh, to the end, and so follow it with me very carefully. I think he makes a very helpful, balanced theological argument. Quote, sensitive and difficult questions relate to what Christians should and should not do on the Lord's day. And Christians sometimes disagree. Some argue that obedience to the fourth commandment requires that Christians avoid any labor or entertainment on the Lord's day. Others argue that the fourth commandment has been fulfilled in Christ and does not lay a burden on Christians about entertainment, necessary work, and other activities as long as time, priority, 
and full attention are given to the church gathered for worship. Now, I like that a lot. Personally, I like that statement a lot. So I want to read it one more time. Others argue that the fourth commandment has been fulfilled in Christ. I believe that. It does not lay a burden on Christians about entertainment, necessary work, and other activities. I believe that. As long as time priority, now that's the operative word there, priority, and full attention are given to the church gathered for worship. And again, I could chase this a long time. I could probably make some folks here, well, maybe not here, but some folks that come to this church uncomfortable. Uh, again, uh, I'm just, for where I was coming from in my conscience, uh, no, my boys were not going to skip church to go to a soccer game week after week after week. They were not going to do that. Uh, my boys, as, as many of you know, are very good athletes uh, in basketball. They were all superb. Uh, did I pursue getting them in certain kind of select leagues that exist where they would travel about and play many of their games on Saturday and Sunday? No. No, I would not. And I'm a huge sports fan. I love athletics. But I believe that the priority of the first day of the week should be under the Lord. The priority of the first week should be under the Lord. And so I'm not going to allow something to impinge or encroach upon that. And at this point, looking back over it, I have no regrets. This debate, though, does go all the way back to the time of the apostles. We quoted Romans 14 a moment ago. The Jewish authorities had turned the Sabbath into a burden for God's people. Rabbis were involved in pointless debates over what could and could not be done on the Sabbath. And Jesus rebuked. This kind of thinking, when he told the Pharisees, this is the third time I've quoted it now, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Similarly, Christians can transform the Lord's Day observances into acts of artificial legalism. I want to be clear on that. Thus missing the entire point of the day. The Lord's Day then is one of Christ's gifts to his church. This good gift reminds us that true Christian worship is a celebration and that the Lord's Day should be a day of great joy and peace. And so, if you're doing something that celebrates the resurrection of Jesus, if you're doing that which brings joy and peace as you focus upon Him and love Him and adore Him and give attention to Him, okay. You say, but what if I engage in things that don't? Well, then you've got some heart uh, searching and some soul searching in my judgment uh, that you need to do, But I'm just going to cut to the chase. You, if you conduct your family life in such a way that uh, you take two to three months out of every year and because you are trying to live your fantasies out through the lives of your children and you drag them all over the country to play baseball because you weren't very good at it or football because you weren't very good at it or soccer because you weren't very good at it or basketball because you weren't very good or maybe you were good at it and you still are on some kind of ego trip then don't be stunned when your kids get grown and they take this book and they do that and they take this church that's exemplified by this building and they walk away. Because what you in essence said to them is when I have to make a choice between priorities and one is you going around the country playing a certain kind of sport and the other is going to the Lord's place on Sunday to gather, uh, this comes in second place. By the time they get this age, it will not be second place. It will not even be on the radar screen. And I want you to tell you something. You'll be the one that will be responsible. You need to think about where your priorities are. And I think Dr. Moeller makes a very, very, very 
helpful statement back up there in a previous paragraph. So we conclude. Christians should strive to order their lives so that they do not neglect the priority of corporate worship on the Lord's day. I think personally that that is an irrefutable abiding principle. Now, how it fleshes out, we can talk through that. But they should strive to order their lives so that they do not neglect the priority of corporate worship on the Lord's day. Believers should find deep, uncompromised joy in such worship and should order their lives to best demonstrate that priority. The Christian's conscience, informed by Scripture, yielded to Christ's lordship, and accountable to the local congregation. Before I end up, one more time, that is just really, really good. Number one, your Christian conscience. Number two, informed by Scripture. Number three, which may be the most important, yielded to Christ's lordship. And number four, accountable to your local congregation. These should guide the believer's decision-making about how he or she or they will observe the Lord's day. And so, again, raise this to the level of the doctrine of Scripture, the Trinity, or salvation. No, but a doctrine that is important and that, in my judgment, tragically has been badly, badly misunderstood and abused in our day and time. Yes, we need to think Christianly and biblically about this good gift that God has given us that we call the first day of the week or the Lord's day. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word and the insights that are there. I thank you also for gifted men like uh, Al Mohler and uh, Herschel York and Mark Rafel and many others who informed my study of this particular teaching tonight. And, Lord, the bottom line is whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we want to do it all to the glory of God. And that includes how we live and observe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and uh, Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week when King Jesus was gloriously and wonderfully raised from the dead. I had not seen it before. You created on the first day of the week. Jesus was raised on the first day of the week. The Holy Spirit came on the first day of the week. There must be something then about that day that is rightly to be honored by your children. May we be faithful to do so. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, we hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We cover your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for His glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.